wanted to share with you a reading from the ancient Greeks, Heracleitos of Ephesus, which I guess is actually in Turkey, but it was a Greek philosopher. Whoever wishes to know about the world must learn about it in its particular details. But knowledge is not intelligence. In searching for the truth, be ready for the unexpected. Change alone is unchanging. The same road goes both up and down, and the beginning of a circle is also its end. Not I, but the world says it. All is one, and yet everything comes in season. So a great Greek philosopher was talking about the weather, like all of us. On one level, level Nina's little skit that we put together with the rainbows is engaging and entertaining to let some of those thoughts and images comfort us that there is not only a light at the end of the tunnel, but perhaps also a rainbow after the worst storms. But of course, we felt that there were underlying meta messages that you might consider in the time for all ages. This week, Nina and I heard from a longtime friend of ours from over 20 years. She was the president of the congregation. We went to Augusta, Georgia, where we stayed for nine years. Evelyn is a psychologist, and she expressed to us her own heartache over the politics of the past couple of years. And then she extended her compassion to us, knowing that many of the folks in our church, like us, might be hurt or sad or fearful or grieving or looking for comfort and guidance in a time of great change. She said, it must be difficult to find the words to speak with integrity and authenticity about what you're feeling and somehow to comfort those who are feeling that uncertainty. It's often difficult to about, talk about things that matter. But as Mark Twain said, we all grumble about the weather, but nothing can be done about it. A great deal has been said, but very little has ever been done about weather. There are some topics, though, which are not usually suitable for polite conversation. Among them have been traditionally religion, sex, and politics. In contrast, I believe that we almost always are talking about what weather has just happened, the weather that we have now, or the weather that's coming around the corner. And it's usually been a non-threatening way to start a conversation with somebody you don't even know. In my 40 years of partnership with my wife, though, I have observed the most common topics among women seem to be cooking recipes, children and grandchildren, and then somebody's health crisis and then weather. In my experience of conversations about men, it's a little different. The safest topics to be are usually sports deriving directions, and weather. So weather is a common element for both men and women, in my experience. But one of the reasons it's easy to talk about the weather is that for thousands of years, it was a common human experience, is whether it stayed the same or changed according to the usual seasonal or annual patterns, weather was completely beyond our control. But now there are real debates about weather which can be based on science, sometimes about religion, and sometimes about politics. So when we talk about weather, we're talking about everything but sex. Who knew? 
We know Al Gore got a Nobel Prize for his climate change documentary, An Inconvenient Truth, which contained concepts which are still controversial among some segments of our society. Even if they may be true, they're still up for debate. Even now, we understand that despite scientific consensus about climate, there are different opinions about what causes weather, what it means, and what we individually or collectively can or should try to do to try to make the weather better or try to avoid the change that we feel is coming, that we are told is a consequence of our activity. We could say that the changes in our common perceptions and understanding of the changes in weather have made those discussions potentially much more meaningful, perhaps even theological. Some people talk about the apocalypse, about Armageddon, and the end of the world as a place where human beings can live. And so weather discussion has moved from the relatively safe topic list to the possibly risky list, where some people may raise their voices in disagreement about weather and climate. But are we going to stop talking about the weather just because it's risky? Are we going to abdicate our position about climate change because some people don't like it and disagree with it? I don't think so. I think Unitarian Universalists will always talk about the weather. We will always talk about religion. We will always talk about politics. And some of us will even talk about sex, occasionally. Of course, we will continue to talk about things that matter among ourselves, because we mostly have come to a common consensus about lots of those things that matter. Or we have made room for that discussion among our peers in the Unitarian Universalist tradition. But what is coming to a great change for us, I think, is that we are coming to the understanding in our modern era that we must become even more engaged with people who aren't Unitarian Universalists, people who don't already agree with our perspectives, not to overwhelm them with our persuasive ability, but to compassionately share our perspective and inquire and listen and understand why they are resistant to what we think of as truth. Historically, Unitarians and Universalists, as we know, have been on the cutting edge of many of the most important social progress um, movements of the American uh, nation over the past 200 years. But what does progress depend on? It depends on change, change which is both exciting and scary and necessary and to some degree inevitable. And like weather or climate our situations can change. I ran across a wonderful column by my colleague and friend Josh Powlett from Connecticut in the uh, most recent edition of the Church of the Larger Fellowship newsletter. And he exposes some of his musings and reflections. He says, perhaps change is life. Frustrations and snags are life. Maybe instead of being taught to expect stability and predictability, we should have been taught to expect chaos or at least constant transition. As the Greek philosopher Heraclitus has said, 
Change alone is unchanging. As long as we are alive and conscious of our own living, we can expect to experience much change. Change in the wider world, among nations, among cultures and social norms. Human knowledge and technology must change. Ecology and climate are changing. The seasons, position of the stars are always changing, sometimes in small ways that we can barely perceive. But the changes in our immediate life is, are, are much more evident. Changes because our children and grandchildren are growing older. The, our roles in their lives must change. Our parents grow older. Our, we ourselves, as adults, are growing older all the time. We begin to worry about retirement. We worry about what we're going to do if Social Security doesn't exist or is changed so much that we, it's, it makes our um, suppositions about how we're going to afford medical care if Medicare doesn't work the same way that it does now. We know work situations change all the time. Our housing changes. People come and go. Friends, colleagues, peers, we can expect changes if we have the time to retire. Our lifestyle changes. Sometimes we have illness, disease, cancer, heart disease, lung disease that are chronic. And so our life changes because of that reality. And, of course, when our family members are seriously ill or dying, our lives change because of what is going, they are experiencing their life changes. And our inner lives will change what we believe, what it matters to us, what the things that we feel called to dedicate our time and energy to, our understanding of what is most important in our lives, the sacred, how we make meaning in our lives from time to time must change. And we can only conclude that there is always more change around the corn. At some place deep in our bones, it speaks directly to our Unitarian Universalist common yearning for religious life not bound by doctrines, creeds, and revelations presented to us in, in an ancient book of other people's writings and sayings as a final word, word revealed once long ago and sealed forever. We long for spiritual openness. We demand spiritual openness. We are comfortable with that fact that things are changing all the time. We don't want chaos. We want our children and grandchildren to experience stability and a degree of predictability. But something is stirring in us that we are both resistant to change and welcoming change. What we see is progress is the change that we would like to see. And the things that we see as changing in ways that we don't welcome are things that we resist. And we're just like everybody else in that way. Some changes are absolutely unwelcome to big segments of our society. They don't like that gays and uh, homosexuals and, and, and lesbians can marry. They don't like that... Um, in the past 50 years that abortion and women's choice has been enabled by our federal government and they are resisting and pushing back. But it's our role in this society to advocate and to be in conversation with people who disagree with us. How, though, can we 
work through this and be and maintain some degree of of centeredness, a stability in our own uh, psyche, in our own spiritual um, identity when change is all around us. Well, uh, Meg Riley, the minister of the Church of the Larger Fellowship, has given us some guidelines on that. She, she says that to build support for ourselves in these times of great change, she recommends that first that we find and commit ourselves to a spiritual practice that makes sense for us. She says a spiritual practice is something that connects us with the spaciousness of the universe and helps us become more relaxed and open our minds and hearts. If you can find something that works for you and plan it intentionally into your days or weeks, something like jammers or being part of the choir or sitting in privacy of your own room with with a candle, meditating or praying or doing Tai Chi or yoga, going to the gym or reading a poem or something else that really speaks to your heart in non-rational ways. Second, she says you can create an idealization of your best self, of the hopes and dreams that you have, visualizing rainbows, for example. You could put quotes on your mirror, pictures of yourself when you're strong and happy. When you're feeling stressed, reinterpret. Uh, I've read a psychologist who says that if you're feeling stressed, tell yourself you're excited, that you're interested in what's going on, that you want to know more, that you are engaged with your daily life in a way that's positive. And third, she says, take care of your body. Make sure you drink plenty of water, that you have adequate sleep, Take the vitamins, eat the foods you need to stay strong. Find ways to move. Walking in the mall if it's cold and snowy. Do something that's going to be positive for your body. Fourth, she says, be careful about media, both your consumption of it and your being consumed by it. Pay attention, but when you find yourself crossing into obsession, turn it off. Try not to respond in quick anger in conversations or those Facebook dialogues where somebody says something that you're really offended by, turn it off for a while. Give yourself time to think and bring your best self to the answer or choose not to respond. Postpone reacting. Number five, she says, think about people that you can speak with on a daily basis. If it's a spouse or roommate, somebody who's there every day with you, but give yourself time to talk and listen to each other. Don't just have a, a glancing conversation that doesn't really settle you in for your ability to reflect and, and have response from somebody who's outside of yourself. And if you live alone, think about whether there's somebody you know that you could talk to on the phone or by Skype, something where there's a conversation your ups and downs are witnessed and supported, and you are serving the same function for their lives. An extension of that is the next one, which is thinking about joining a small group, which is in regular contact, whether by email or face-to-face, -face, through church, or you could join a, a group like, say, Rotary Club or uh, a Toastmasters or something where you're stimulated by people that you don't. Um, have to be in contact with every day, but
but somebody who's giving you a, a different perspective where you can be your whole self and speak your own truths and be in actual interchange with somebody else in a group. And then the next one is uh, one that I think all of us would really benefit from is to try to find some way every every day to find something that's humorous enough where you will laugh out loud. If you watch a funny video or talk to some friend who tells silly jokes or you watch a, a kitten or a puppy sometimes on Facebook or on some some place, a place that's going to give you a chuckle, spending time with young children. I'm, I know our toddler granddaughter is, is a bundle of laughs when she's uh, sort of just doing her thing. If you can find way to sing with other people, that's a great way to just to open up your, your heart and your lungs and your soul and, and sing with gratitude for being alive. And then number eight, she says, if you can commit one act of engagement, we can't do everything, but we can do one thing at a time. If you put some elected officials, phone numbers or emails addresses on your contact list, tell them what you're thinking that day. One sentence, one thing that you want them to know that you care about and they should be attentive to. Speak out when something concerns you in small ways, wherever you are. Some of us know that it would be great to write letters to the editor, but we want them to be perfect. We, we're resistant to doing something that's not absolutely perfect. But the Congress people and the senators they have to read everything and they're just running tallies. What's what came in positive on this bill or this concern? And they're just checking to see if anybody cares. We can make a difference if we are actually communicating with people that depend on us because they are our elected officials. Especially if you have a congressperson you disagree with all the time, they will know who you are. And you will absolutely have an effect on how they deal with people who are like you. Number nine, think about where you can have the most impact, where you have the most influence. Anything you do will feel small and insignificant, but it's very important to do it as a way to remember that you have some influence in the world. And because your actions, even small actions, will add up. If you talk to people, you know about what you can do together and join groups that will help you to know what actions to take. For example, Natalie and Maria with 350.org are doing this over and over and they are having an impact. Pictures of those folks doing demonstrations in the town square are showing up and people know what they stand for. That's just one example. Number 10, finally, remember that we're all in this together. All of us have fears because of our personal life situation. And many people have been targets of specifically horrific policy plans and personal attacks. Where we know that Muslims and immigrants are going to be uh, subject to being attacked, we have to be ready to lend ourselves and our presence to defend them where we know that the attacks on them are unfair 
and illogical. We have to stand up with them. I've heard of people making a commitment. It's called the Matthew 25 commitment, where, for example, if there's a registration for people who are of the Muslim faith, that there's a commitment that people who are Christian or other religious I have other religious identities will register. They committed. They will register as Muslims so that the numbers will be overwhelming. It's a reminder to me of those French villages where the mayor is approached by the by the uh, Nazi commander and says, give me the list of your Jews. And he hands over the entire census of the town and says, we are all Jews here with obviously the effect that the Nazis could not wipe out the entire town because they saw the solidarity that people were not going to um, uh, serve up the Jews to be persecuted or or, uh, exterminated. We are all part of a community. In a recent book, Robin Robin Kimmerer writes about pecan trees, as the biologist E.O. Wilson has often written, of the behavior of bees and ants. And in those those works, they say the trees, the bees, and the ants are not acting not as individuals, but as a collective. Exactly how they do this, we don't actually know. But we see through their actions is the power of unity. If we know that what happens to one of us happens to all of us, we can feast together or we can flourish together Or we can somehow get through the worst of storms together because we are all subject to the changes that come from not just weather, but changes in politics, changes in society, changes in living situations, changes in the economy. All of us had trials during the time of the last recession that lasted for years. It took a lot of intervention on the part of state and local and, uh, and national governments to bring us out of that recession and the changes that were required, some of which were not deep enough. And we know that there is a reaction coming. We don't know how bad the storm is going to be, but we know there will be change over the next few weeks and months and years. And it is our part to Resist the change that is destructive of community, that is destructive of individual lives in an unfair and inappropriate way. Because we have our ideals as Unitarian Universalists, as humans with insight and with compassion for those who are even different than us. And understanding that what happens in our micro communities and in our localities in our state and in our nation affects all humanity for not just for the present time, but for generations to come. Much as we understand scientifically that the climate change that's coming is melting huge glaciers and has been for decades and it's accelerating and we can see it and we can feel it. In days like today, when we are experiencing this incredible, um, icy condition all along the eastern seaboard and on the west coast with uh, incredible amounts of snow and 
people dying. And I understand the same weather is actually in northern Europe right now, that people are freezing to death and having multiple accidents. I saw a number this morning um, that there were, I think, 300 or so uh, automobile accidents in Virginia alone in the past 48 hours because people were not prepared, because they didn't have adequate preparation. Either they didn't read the forecast or they didn't understand the implications. But if we know pretty well what's coming and we prepare ourselves and we keep ourselves as healthy as possible to deal with the reality of what changes are coming, won't that be better for the world? Won't that be better for us? Let us bring that insight and let us bring our best selves to do what needs to be done. Unitarian Universalism doesn't demand that our best self is according to some specific mold. Only you can choose who you are and what you will do. We just ask that we try honestly and thoughtfully to be our best every day, to use what resources that we have available to us, and we encourage each other to do the same, to accept each other for who we are, to encourage us not to be content with less than what we can be. As we choose what shape our lives will take, we know that we are not alone. Thank you for your attention this morning.